And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 264, aka Year 6, Week 14, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC, Ken Schoolin. And since we do this as a call-in, the number is 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, so what is going on with you guys this week? Oh, I just got back from the beach, and we didn't get harassed by the cops at all. Are you allowed to go to the beach? Is that uh, a thing we, yet? So I, I read something. Maybe it's just a rumor. They're going to open up all the parks today. All okay. the parks on, on Oahu. Uh, so that means people can go there for exercise. Um, and that's just wonderful. Um, I don't, it, like, it's so idiotic for them to close down the parks to begin with. Um, so you can go to the parks for exercise. You can't go there to have barbecues and sit on the beach or stuff like that. But you can walk around. You can jog around. Uh, as long as you're moving, I guess. You can't just go there to sit on the beach. Yes. So I've got some social media friends um, still on Oahu, friends in quotation marks at this point. Um, and they've been, they've occasionally been posting updates from like the lieutenant governor and his postings uh, from Hawaii, like the lieutenant governor of Hawaii. And one of the weird, the, one of the things that, you know, they were, they were laughing because he, you know, I think they thought it was funny, but it, it brought up a weird question. So he was posting the statistics and whatnot. And then he you know, said, the real question is parks and put like an, okay, said, okay to go to the parks. And he said, oceans, like, okay to go into the oceans and then beaches. And he put WTF, like what the fuck. Right. And I think, ah, how funny. Our Lieutenant governor is like WTF guy. All right, whatever. But my question is like, how are they differentiating the beaches and the oceans like you can you can go into the water but you can't cross the sand to get to the water no you, you can cross the sand uh you just have to be going to surf or do ocean water sports uh, to it's 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 for to keep you healthy it's okay it, that it's essential to keep yourself healthy so right. going to the into the ocean to keep yourself healthy is okay but if you wanted to exercise on the beach, on the sand, that, in that front of the also, ocean. That is also now allowed. As now allowed. Okay. But before... like but with, before it wasn't. Okay. So you, you, you could cross the beach to get to the ocean, but you couldn't do anything. You couldn't, you couldn't loiter on the beach, yeah. basically. And there was... That, the, the ocean thing was more of a legal issue. They couldn't prevent people from being in the ocean. Okay. Uh, well, and, they, they did in other states. And at first, they they said you couldn't even uh, that they couldn't prevent people from being on the beach either, and then they changed that because I guess because the cops have legs and they can get to the beach, so they said, oh well, I guess we can we can do that and nobody will stop us, so they did it. Okay. Where did the police arrest somebody for paddleboarding? I think that was California. Yeah, I think so. So the ocean was still fair game for them. Again, depends if it if it's illegal. If there's something that says like being in the ocean, there's a legal thing. Is it a Hawaii law? Is it a California law? Is it a is it a state law? Is it international law? I think it's Hawaii state law. Okay, so fair game in California then. If California doesn't have similar protections, quote unquote. 
It would be real interesting in the future to see how far some of these challenges go. Uh, do they go to the Supreme Court where they rule on the constitutionality of these laws? Um, but that's years down the road. And I'm sure that we won't know until a long time later. But I think, um, who is it, Judge Napolitano has challenged the <clears throat> constitutionality of all these requirements that you have to stay in your home and, and so on. Um, I suppose if it could be proven that you have a disease, the quarantine laws laws might affect those people. But <clears throat> for the whole public who has no... <clears throat> no uh, uh, evidence of, of any kind of disease, just to keep them all in. That seems uh, a, a tremendous overreach of the quarantine laws. Or, But I, I'm not familiar with the laws. Do you? I'm not either. MC? No. Okay, so I got a question, though. When you say Judge Napolitano is, is challenging all of this, right, is he just going on record on his, you know, on his TV show or radio show or whatever and just going like, you know, this is unconstitutional and like challenging it that way, or is he actually filing legal documents? Uh, I think he's just saying it. Okay. Ken, do you know? Just part of social media. Yeah. I don't okay. know. Yeah. I don't know of any particular case that taking it up. Yeah. So I think you have to be harmed by the government in order to take it to them, I guess. I right. Know. That's the, that's the whole unfortunate thing about this, why it's going to take decades, uh, you know, or at least a decade to, to, to get a constitutional ruling on it. Because the courts are now backed up because of the coronavirus thing, but you have to break the law, then get arrested, right? Then get found, you know, guilty in the lower courts and then challenge it all the way up to the Supreme Court at your expense, right? For, you know, for, for the benefit of the community, right? You know, if we, if we don't want everyone to be forced, you know, to, to abide by this during the next pandemic, right? Then the, the one lone guy has to, you know, shoulder the entire burden uh of of a legal challenge uh, now of course he can get financial support from everybody else but it, you know w one guy getting arrested is basically what it takes well you could do a class action suit also in which uh whoever is pressing the case expects a very large broad settlement to pay the expenses on on um on uh commission or so you know how would the class action suit work, though? Because if you have a class action suit, how are you going to prove that everyone in the suit was harmed? Are you going to, you know, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know how that would work. Because um, usually the class action suit is against a business where there, you know, like there's provable damage that they harmed more than just the one person, right? But how do you how do you challenge a law with a class action suit if not everyone who's part of the suit is getting arrested? I don't know the legal uh, background of this uh, this sort okay. of thing, or even class action suits and how much you have to actually prove. But one could argue that because you weren't allowed to go out, you couldn't conduct your business yeah. uh, because you had a restaurant and the government shut down all your customers that your business suffered losses. Um, I mean, I, I would think that there are a lot of businesses that could demonstrate injury as a result of these stay-at-home orders. Okay. And then protesters uh, just arguing that, well, we were, we were going out to protest, which is a legally, constitutionally protected right, and uh, we were interfered with, not for any, um, you know, justified reason or, you know, that, I mean, I, it's, 
it's conceivable that one could argue that civil liberties have been uh, uh, injured. Was it Michigan that deemed protest a non-essential activity and therefore you couldn't do it? There was a state that did that. No, possibly so. Yeah. That, one, that one didn't cross your desk? Okay. So let's, let's jump into headlines early, earlier than we usually do because we can flush this out. But you brought up a point about the uh, liability. And I do have a headline that deals with whether or not uh, businesses should be held liable uh, for people getting sick or whom should be held liable. For you know that that was kind of the discussion on the table, so let's just jump right into that headline. A Cudlow businesses shouldn't be held liable if employees or customers contract coronavirus. Uh, before I get into the article, any any thoughts on the headline, or do you want to just jump right in and see what he has to say? Well, let's start by hearing what he has to say. That'd be good. All right. Then we can comment more on. White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow said he supports protecting businesses from coronavirus-related lawsuits as the Trump administration eyes reopening the economy. Kudlow, the director of the National Economic Council, said on CNBC Wednesday that companies and small businesses should not have to deal with trial lawyers putting on false lawsuits. Quote, You've got to give the businesses some confidence here that if something happens and it may not be their fault... The disease is an infectious disease. If something happens, you can't take them out of business, Kudlow said. You can't throw big lawsuits at them, and I think liability reforms and safeguards are going to be a very important part of it, he continued. The remarks come as business groups frantically lobby Congress to shield corporations from liability lawsuits if customers or employees contracted the coronavirus when businesses reopen. The U.S. Chamber of Congress, a pro-business lobbying group, wrote in an open letter last week that exposure liability was the largest area of concern for the overall business community and called for a safe harbor from negligence lawsuits. President Trump said Monday that his administration had not discussed liability protection but indicated he might support such a move. But we have tried to take liability away from these companies. We just don't want that because we want the companies to open and to open strong, he said at a press conference. Critics of the move say that shielding companies from litigation could leave them to expose their employees to unnecessary risks during the coronavirus pandemic. The whole point of making employers liable for risking the lives of their staff is to prevent them from exposing their staff to undue risk, tweeted Justin Wolfer, Wolfers, an economics and public policy professor at the University of Michigan. Businesses are asking for the right to expose their workers to fatal risk with no consequences. Uh, end of the article. I mean, they show the whole tweet, but that's the end of the article. Uh, so my initial thoughts, I'll jump in real. My initial thoughts is it's weird that all of a sudden, you know, they're the ones that shut down businesses, right? Like the, 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 the state, the, you know, by directives of the president, right. And, and all the governors, uh, but now all of a sudden like, no, no, we, we don't want to harm the businesses after harming them for over a month now, right. A month of no operations. They're, they're now the savior. Uh, by protecting them from liability. So that's, I'll open there and I'll, I'll open the floor to you and MC. Ken? Well, I think we should, we should sue the virus for damages. <laughs> A class action suit. Everyone who was affected. Yes. And then we should shoot, sue the government also. But Can you um, file a suit against the Chinese laboratory that the virus was manufactured in? Well, we don't really know that. <laughs> 
Um, but you you raise an interesting point of the hypocrisy of government talking about liability of personal injury and and businesses without um, assuming liability for themselves. It's interesting if you if you wanted to sue the government, let's say, because you picked up. Uh, it could be proven you picked up a, a virus going through a, uh, a government-owned airport, for example, um, and you wanted to sue them, or or because you had to go down to the DMV to get uh, your driver's license, and you you can uh, prove that you got it there. Well, not only can you not sue them because of sovereign immunity, even if you could sue them, even if they allowed it, you wouldn't be suing or doing any kind of damage to the person who made those decisions. You'd be doing it to innocent taxpayers beyond them. Uh, and that's always a problem with uh, uh, the hypocrisy of government holding businesses accountable for liability that they can't in any way come close to with regard to government action. Isn't that true about any time the government, any time you sue the government, it, it's eventually the taxpayers that pay? So if, if not through lawsuit, how do you hold the state accountable oh at the ballot box every four years <laughs> oh yeah that sounds like a great idea <laughs> yeah that's the the problem with uh all the injuries that uh government is responsible for because well individuals uh the the politicians who pass laws and make decisions and so on they're out of office in four years they essentially push the responsibility down to the next elected uh politician and he's never he or she is never taking responsibility himself they have uh, immunity for for their actions while conducting public business yeah and of course that's why they behave so uh irresponsibly and since they make the laws right how do you get them to pass the law that then holds them liable for their actions and for the rules that they make it's a it's a catch-22 right? yeah yeah but that's okay. So let's go back to the ballot box thing, because that's that is an argument that I have heard made uh, on Free Talk Live. Actually, now that I think about where I heard it, and you know, so a caller called in and said, like, uh, elected officials always act in the best interests in in the best interest of their constituency because their main concern is re-election. Right? They're not concerned about anything else but maintaining their office. And therefore, the only way to maintain their office is to please the constituency so they get reelected next term, right? And if that's true, then they always do have our citizens' best interest at heart uh, because doing so serves their interests, much like we would argue for a business, right? A, a business wouldn't poison its customers because it wants to make a profit, well, if they're always looking out for, you know, their their next election, well, then, of course, they're going to do what the constituency wants because that's how they make, make get uh, reelected next time. Well, maybe it's a, a, a plurality of the vote. For example, of all the population that a politician affects, half don't register because they don't feel they have any influence or are disinterested. Half of those who register don't actually vote. Of those who vote maybe 51% will vote for that politician and the remaining ones don't vote for them. So they're actually really not satisfying the voter in general. They're, a voter, they're satisfying a few who in that particular election happen to be the ones that 
um, favored that particular politician. So yes, I think they're interested in in that particular group, but it's a very small group. Okay. Compare well, that is, to the is that not group. my fault as a non-voter? Is that not my fault for not going to the ballot box, or as a registered voter, my fault then? No, it's just, for not it's going just to counter the claim that that the politician is interested in the general population who he affects as a whole um, because he wants to get reelected. I mean, he's really only seeking to be satisfied very, very small percentage of the population that he's affecting. Okay. Whereas the business owner is has a much stronger interest in not wanting to um, do injury to or aggravate his customers because all of them, all of his customers are ones that he or she has um, an effect on, and all of his or her employees has an effect on them. They, uh, a business has a much, much greater interest in not doing injury to, their, uh, to the people they do business with because all of them are going to be uh, having the right to injure his business by just not doing business with them anymore. The general citizenry has no option with regard to the politician. You can't say, well... I don't like what that politician said. I'm not going to pay taxes anymore. I'm not going to do business with that politician anymore. Ah, but you, you can vote him out during the politics. next election, right? That's the claim. You can vote him out during the next election. Yeah, yeah, that's the claim. But all it takes is um, two guys who like him that uh, make your vote to unseat him, you know, irrelevant. You know. Fair. MC, thoughts? Nope. <laughs> right. no, I just think... Uh, Maybe we should talk about some some liability. I mean, if if I get diagnosed with coronavirus, then who are you suing? And, and, and so, no, I mean, if, if if it's just proven that I have it and I don't know where it came from, um, and they tell me, okay, you should probably stay home, and so you don't get anybody else infected. Now, if I go out, uh, am I liable in any way, or is it? Uh, you know, just just from the potential harm I could have, or I know I know the government could. That's the whole the whole definition of the quarantine is 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 putting sick people away from everybody else. It has nothing to do with putting healthy people away from everybody else. So that's, that's um, why I told you I'm calling it lockdown or house arrest. Right. So I don't I don't think house arrest is is constitutional at all. Judge Napolitano said, but if it's if I get tested positive, then what kind of liability do I have? Or if I go out, what should the punishment be? I think I'm going to disagree with Ken, so I want to hear Ken's answer first. What, no, what, what, what was my answer? Did I, I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I know, but I, I, I have He's a pre- feeling. Preemptively disagreeing with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, well, tell me what I th- what you think I'm going to say then. <laughs> uh, based on our previous conversations, because we, we, we talked about this general topic a little bit a few weeks ago. Our previous conversations, you I, I if again, and we disagreed a little bit last week and we cleared the air a little bit um, on a different topic. But what I previously heard you say was if it could be traced back to you, you are definitely liable uh, for harm to those you've infected. Well, uh, okay. There's a, a point here that if you if you knowingly if you if you know you have a a uh, an infectious disease that could uh, it could affect others, cause them great injury, that uh, 
then you should be held accountable for that um, knowing injury to other people. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it sounds reasonable. I, it seems uh, to me that, uh, yeah, there's, that, there, it's a perfectly uh, reasonable point. Yeah, okay, so tell me what's wrong with that. <laughs> so in, in the case of the coronavirus, um, it's difficult to prove transmission. Right, like we're, it, we're we're not talking about difficult though. We're we're talking about where some we're, he's making an assumption that we he can trace it back to a specific person. Okay, that that knew he had it and knew he infected somebody else. It's well, like AIDS. Suppose that you you had AIDS. You knew you had AIDS. You had sex with a partner, knowing you could infect them. Are you at all responsible for knowingly infecting another person? See, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was the counterexample that I was going to use. Uh, when I have unprotected sex with a partner, right, I assume the risk that that person could be carrying something and not transmitting it and, and transmitting it to me. It is my responsibility to protect myself from that by uh, demanding protection, using protection, or... Uh, being more choosy with my partners, right? So that's why I think I disagree with you because in the age transmission, you know, I don't care what the law says. I go, well, shouldn't have fucked him or shouldn't have fucked her, right? You you should have protected yourself because you don't know what diseases they're carrying. You will never know what diseases they're carrying. Even if they show you a clean test, you don't know what's happened between that test and now, Right. And as a responsible, you know, sexual, sexually active individual, uh, you assume the risk of contracting any number of things the moment you decide not to participate safely. And so I would say, no, you know, the, it's your fault for not rubbering up uh, and contracting AIDS or HIV or whatever. The same way I would say, no, if you choose to go out in public willingly, knowingly now, right, that there is a highly contagious virus available, the risk is on you. You've accepted that risk and chosen, you know, to go out in lieu of that, right? And if, if MC walks by me and coughs, right, and all of a sudden I get coronavirus, I personally would not blame MC because I chose to go out knowing that there could be people carrying it knowing that those people carrying it may or may not know that they have it or can contract it or, or could pass it on. I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, let's, let's push the elements of that. You're not just going out and then happen to be encountering them. Maybe you, you know you've got the disease and you go into another person's business um, or is there any responsibility that you have for carrying a disease that you know you have that can do injury to other people? Uh, you're care you, you know, they didn't invite diseased people in. They say, well, we've got, uh, uh, we, we serve customers. Uh, yeah. Would you say that it's incumbent on them to somehow test every customer before they come in to the store, into the restaurant? Uh, require the mask. Uh, so what if they, their temperature be what taken? If they have a sign on the front door that says no sick people come in? <laughs> yeah, there's a good point. Then the person is, uh, violating, then you're violating the business rules. Yeah. I'll grant yeah. you that. 
right? But the the you know we we talked about this briefly before we hit the record button, right? With any other type of illness, right? Like I said, you know, a cough, just a, the regular average every day. My throat hurts. Cough, right? You go, damn, my throat hurts. I need to go get some cough medicine. And what do you do? You take your sick ass down to the pharmacy, right? Spread whatever germs disease you have through every aisle you walk in as you approach the cough medicine, right? Then you buy it and leave, you know? So if it, if it weren't, if it weren't for, um, the, the, the is it virility, the, how, how viral, um, the COVID-19 is, I would say that it's a non-issue and no, uh, you shouldn't be held liable. Uh, the business shouldn't be held liable. Uh, you know, life is risky. And if you're, if you're worried about those things, right, wear a fucking helmet. Uh, what if you um, ask somebody before uh, having sex with them, do you have AIDS or some STD? And they say no, knowing that they do. Would that be any different? I, I could hear a case for fraud on that, but you're still stupid, right, for taking them at their word. Because what they don't they don't owe you the truth, right? It's like, oh, no, are you, are you on birth control? Yeah, I'm on birth control. And then like 18 years later, you're still paying child support, right? Shouldn't have listened. Should have been responsible for your own choices and been concerned about yourself. And if, you know, if those things are a concern to you, you take the necessary precautions to prevent it. Yes, I agree that you need to take uh, precautions against these things and there's a certain measure of responsibility often in the law they say well okay what percentage responsibility is uh, any responsibility 100% responsibility or is there also some measure of responsibility on the 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 lying person or the person who um, uh, has a deadly disease and and uh, they infect other people. Is there? Um, uh, I, I know it's really complicated in the law, but they often do uh, go into cases with these um, idea that that there is a measure of responsibility on both sides. Is yeah. there any measure of responsibility on both sides, or is it just entirely on whoever doesn't protect themselves? I would say it's whoever. <laughs> Whoever it is to protect themselves, unless there's an overt act of aggression, right? Like if, if I get held up against the wall with the gun to my head, right? Like I'm okay absolving myself of a little bit of responsibility for being victimized, right? If you have a deadly disease and you pin me down and like spit in my eyeball, right? Yeah, maybe I probably hold you a little bit responsible because that is not that is not one of the risks that I was, you know, that I expected in the normal course of my day of going out and about. Like I don't, I don't anticipate being uh, harassed. I don't anticipate being harmed. I don't anticipate being molested, but generally, right. There are certain things out of my control that you just can't do anything about. Like I said, life is risky, you know? So you protect yourself against what you can, if you wish, and everything else is on the table. Right now, like I said, the, the, the mugger, right? Obviously an act of aggression, obviously some liability there. Uh, someone who, someone who, uh, is carrying AIDS and go out, goes out and like rapes people against their will. 
with the intent of spreading the disease. Yes, some liability there, right? If you have the coronavirus and you go out and about and you're one of those clowns that's like, you know, licking the licking the fruit and or spitting in the grocery store, yeah, sure. Some liability there, but I would say all of those things are already overt acts of aggression um, that don't call into question uh, the the nature of the disease that we're talking about, right? It doesn't matter. Those those were already bad things to do, and you don't need a special law, uh, a special liability uh, law to to cover that. All but right, if so I please, if I go to so a restaurant and get sick, I eat the food, I get sick, I don't sue the restaurant. And go man, fucking had some bad food. Right. So please stay home if you're sick, and uh, and if if you don't know if you're sick or not, and, and you, you you know you're just just having another normal day, then uh, just you know be, be yourself. yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just go about your business, and other people will go about theirs. And if you happen to cross somebody on the street, right, then you're you're concerned that they may be a carrier. Take precautions. Because they may not, and they don't owe you anything to go out of their way to, you know, alter their life, their liberty, their freedom uh, to protect your ass. You raised an interesting case there. You go into a restaurant and you eat a meal. Now, you're, the implied contract is that you're getting a meal. And I am, I'm assuming that it's possible to have an implied contract that isn't going to kill you. Yeah. Uh, suppose that, um, you know, here in, in town, Genki Sushi had salmonella in their, um, what was it, with the uh, scallops that uh, in, injured, deathly injured and killed some people. Um, and it was demonstrated they did not, uh, well, they, they had a source uh, of this, uh, I think, I don't know, from some other country. I think it was the Philippines, but I'm not sure exactly. Um, maybe the health department determined they had not, uh, done, uh, adequate, uh, cleaning or something in the restaurant. Well, I don't know about that particular case, but, you know, suppose that that is your situation that, um, uh, you get deathly ill for weeks, maybe permanent, uh, your partner that went in and had the meal, shared the meal, died. Uh, do you say, oh, I got sick from the meal and I don't sue the restaurant. Uh, it was just what I had. I should expect when I go into a restaurant that I'm just taking my life in my hands because I could care less about uh, what I actually eat there. Well, it's not. It's definitely not what you expect, right? But when I when I have food poisoning, which I have had, right? I don't then I don't then go sue the restaurant and say like, "Hey, you fed me bad salmon," right? If someone died, maybe. Um, I know when we were, when I was working at a restaurant, we, we served, um, like raw oysters, right. And we, we, we shucked them, we served them, whatever, excuse me. We had to keep, um, we had to, we had to keep the label from the oyster bag just in case someone did get sick. We knew what batch that those oysters had come from. So it could be traced back to that particular batch and people could be notified. Right, like that. That was that was the the cover your ass, uh, you know, for the restaurants. Like, know your sources. Um, but it, I think it's it's difficult again to hold the restaurant owner liable for every illness uh, of every customer that that passes through there, because how do you know, 
right? In, in the case of Genki Sushi, yeah, if a whole bunch of people got sick, right, you can say, you know, it probably was some, there was probably some negligence on their part because it wasn't a one-off situation. But a one-off situation, I find it very difficult to hold someone else liable um, for what is an error, right? And if you're cons- if you as the individual are concerned at all about getting ill from eating out at a restaurant, don't eat out at the restaurant, right? That's that's still a choice that you take, knowing the potential for getting sick, right? Everything you buy at the grocery store, you know, you don't expect to get sick. Right, we we had the was it the the romaine lettuce sal, was it salmonella for romaine too? Yeah. yeah, right. Like you don't expect to get sick for the romaine, um, but should you? And and you know, and they did the recall, and you take it back or whatever. But should you get sick, what are you going to do? Right? How is well, the how is the well, supermarket yeah. supposed to know that that batch of romaine uh, is bad? And how far up the chain does it go? It's true that that restaurants and groceries and all grocers and all don't want to lose customers by bad publicity, but isn't one of the reasons that they take the precautions that they do, um, extra precautions, is because they know they might get sued for uh, making people deathly sick for their negligence. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. They, is, it, they, is it negligence? And, and probably, it's, it's probably a, a consideration in their insurance policy. I mean, if they, I would guess that, a, that uh, restaurants are generally certainly wise to have insurance for such things yeah. and the insurance company will want to oversee their their cleanliness uh, uh, practices their their supervision their training uh their ordering processes and so on like yeah. that all that that's all good business but it account it, it it's backed up by liability they're responsible for not doing injury to their customers. Their customers are expecting a product. They're not expecting a death. Right. And I would caveat emptor. And I don't think the line is too fine uh, between negligence and shit happens. Right. Like accidents happen. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that it was negligence on one party. Things happen. Right. I agree. But then there's always a degree of um, precaution that uh, could be evidence that you you made reasonable efforts to make things to make uh, it so that it was less likely to happen understood i think i think that's the, the the number one defense in a case on that well we did we 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 kept the, the label so that we can always check the source yeah uh, and find out uh, the cause we 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 uh, go to reputable sources. We have a cleaning routine at the end of the day to make yeah. sure we clean up and all that. So a the, custom, that the customer because, sues the restaurant. The restaurant sues the the wholesaler. The wholesaler sues the you know the 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 his ch- up chain of command. And pretty soon you got you got someone like suing the fishermen who like bagged up the clams on the boat, right? Someone knew. So how was he supposed to know that he was bagging up salmonella clams? Well, we can, I, I think it's right for you to say, well, you know, so everybody sues everybody else to try and find out what's responsible. But it's more than just the lawsuit. It's the investigation and the determination along the way that somebody may have been uh, negligent and responsible for this. I mean, if you leave uh, uh, your your raw oysters out in the sun for 
uh, a week and uh, in uh, uh, I mean for example there, there used to be law in England that said that you were responsible if you caused fire uh, to your neighbor's house because of uh, negligence with your own fireplace and the reason for that was uh, pretty obvious you didn't want to have people behave negligently in how they tended the fire in their own house right because they could burn down the whole neighborhood and so they had strict liability laws even for your agent in other words your your maid or your butler you were responsible for their actions and their behavior just as the owner is responsible for the actions behavior of the of the uh, people that they hire to work in the kitchen and to serve the meals right. and um, so some measure of liability makes people a lot more alert to caution than if yeah. there isn't liability. But and, I, that, and I'm not arguing against negligence. That's what I said. The, the line isn't fine between negligence and shit happens, right? Yeah, if, I if, agree. if it's and gross what, negligence, I'm sure. Guessing if that it's over aggressive, the legal, the legal process is one of investigation and discovery. You find out what was the cause, the source of these things, and if. If it wasn't from negligence, then yes, I agree. Shit happens. I mean, the the life, the world is not uh, perfect and isn't risk free. Um, but on the other hand, there through investigation and discovery, and through this adversarial contest in the courtroom, I think that judgments have throughout history been able to be made that uh, uh, injury was sometimes intentional, sometimes uh, negligent, sometimes. Uh, un uh unnecessary and that shit you you don't just throw it always to the wind and say well uh whatever happens in the world is just chance i remember i had a student once who said uh well everything that happened in the past was probably for the good i said well why is that she says well it brought us to where we are today well then by that conclusion and it doesn't matter what happens next because it'll just take us to where we are tomorrow I mean, it, it isn't all just just uh, okay because it happens. Uh, we're incentivized by uh, measures of accountability. Sure, and again, I, I I would not I would not make the same case for gross negligence. What I'm saying is, as an individual, you take you take risks daily. You know, as soon as you wake up in the morning. And there's some measure of responsibility on you uh, for everything that happens to you throughout the day, right? You wouldn't get food poisoning if you didn't eat at that restaurant, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't get sick if you didn't go to that grocery store, right? You you can take the safeguards in your personal life, um, and I I I would say it's you know anti-liberty uh, to require others to take safeguards in their life for your protection. Yeah, I agree. And I think you have a right to smoke, for example, even though you know it's going to do injury to you because um, the trade-off is worth it to you. <clears throat> so and it could help prevent the coronavirus. And I, I, frankly, I don't think it was a satisfactory um, reason for suing the, the, the tobacco companies that people say, well, they lied to us, they they." They knew that it could cause lung cancer, and they didn't tell us. They kept selling it to us anyway. I think, I think it's appropriate to. I mean, the the general knowledge was was 
broad enough to know that people um, were uh, affecting the chances of their of their health when they smoked, and of people around them too. Although maybe I, I don't maybe they didn't realize that uh, years ago. I mean, when I grew up, my parents uh, smoked, and I don't think they probably realized that they were doing you know that they were uh, affecting the people around them as well. Yeah, and the government you could say was highly responsible for it. Who who sells the cheapest cigarettes all around the world? Uh, military commissaries. Uh, where did the military get their first cigarettes? Well, most all of the American military received them as part of their rations during World War II by the billions of cigarettes. Um, so, if you, you know, if the government was really serious about holding people liable for uh, for injury, they could have done it uh, for their uh, for that or nuclear testing or all kinds of things the government uh, is immune to. MC. Oh, do we have anything else to talk about? I've got like four other headlines. Did we get enough into the liability? Like on, I on... think we beat it. Okay, <laughs> and we're not we're not really legal experts either. We just have opinions. So, yeah, I don't I don't even I never have to caveat that 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 should go without <laughs> saying. And I am not responsible for your actions and decisions if you act, you know, in a manner of based on what I've said, like. Take some responsibility for what you do in your life. Jesus. Why is that such a hard concept for people to get? All right. Here's the other headlines. Headline. Idaho woman threatened with jail time for holding a non-essential yard sale. Uh, headline. Pastor fined $1,200 for violating social distancing to feed the homeless. Uh, headline. Cops wage elaborate undercover scheme to arrest a woman for giving a manicure out of her home. And finally, headline, Ammon Bundy protests arrest of stay-at-home order dissenter at officer's home. <laughs> I, it's the best way I can read that one, man. It's not, it's not a very good headline, but there I, you go. I think, I, think um, I, I really wish, because especially in Hawaii, there's so many unemployed people, and as soon as they run out of their, their credit, their ability to buy things on their credit cards... Um, or as soon as they're not able to pay rent and they, they start allowing landlords to kick people out again, um, who should take responsibility for that? That's a liability thing that I think the government should be liable for. Um, I think it would be great if people just you know went to all the, the, the people that are in the government they are still getting paychecks and, yeah, I don't know, either forcefully kick them out of their houses or, <laughs> uh, or at least you know camp out in their yards. And protest that way. Yeah. That's a whole nother issue that we could, you know, spend some time on is, you know, how far up the chain does that go? Right? The the government tells you you can't go to work, so therefore you can't pay your rent, right? So your landlords, his hands are tied because now he can't pay his mortgage, potentially, right? There's some good landlords out there, right? And then the banks are tied up because they go, Well, he's gotta make his mortgage payment. And the government goes, well, we'll give the money to the banks. Right? <laughs> like, where does, what, what, what nonsense is all that? Whereas you could just let people work, you know, get out of the way and let those who choose to go to work, go to work. And those who choose not to go to work, not to. Um, let's, that, that reminds me. So let's jump back for a quick minute, maybe two, um, to the liability thing. Because I, I wanted to throw this out there uh, with the liability uh, and get your thoughts on this, Ken. Amazon, 
um, is getting fined in France um, for delivering non-essential goods uh, because it puts their workers at risk. That was one headline. Another headline was Amazon orders uh, furloughed employees or, or people sheltering in place, shelter in place employees to get your ass back to work. Um, your thoughts on that? Does, does the business have a right to order employees back to work? Uh, and uh, is is should the government be involved with the the business of Amazon or any other organization and their employees choosing to go to work delivering non-essential goods well I would use a different word than ordering them back to work I would say um, that Request, Amazon suggest no just Amazon says well we pay you for work and if you're not working we don't pay you and that's our money we decide not to pay you so it then is up to the employee uh, to decide whether or not to take that risk of going back to work for the money or not. But so, the, uh, the employer has to make that judgment for themselves. Is this a form of wage slavery then? Because the poor people don't really have a choice, Ken. If Amazon <laughs> says to oh, work... Wait, wait, wait. But the government has a choice for them? <laughs> well, the government has a choice for them not to work. <laughs> Well, no, I hear your point. I'm with you, man. I tell you. The government reverses the incentives here. They've actually made it more uh, uh, financially rewarding not to work than to work. You know, how many restaurants have closed because their employees found that they got more money by being unemployed than they would get by going into work and working full-time. Uh, yep. So uh, the government has reversed those incentives. And, of course, we'll we'll all be paying for that very seriously through taxes and all that um, in the future. So I see this, I'm going to share this with you real quick and then I'll let you continue. I seen a similar headline that some, someone else shared. It was basically like a small business owner uh, it gets her small business loan to keep her employees employed and the employees revolted for that very reason. They're like, <laughs> Why would you do this? We get more going on unemployment than if you keep us employed. And so, you know, doing the right thing, doing the diligent thing, or what she thought was in the best interest of her employees, backfired. Uh, and one of the quotes that they had from her in the article was, I'm now competing with unemployment. Like, there's no way I can win that. That's right. So continue. What, do you, what can be, what kind of be done with that nonsense and the perverted incentives uh, passed down by the state? UBI. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's turning into. No, but see, the the incentive is, is if if you work, then you won't get the 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 unemployment. And so I don't think if they're going to give people money, just give it to them, no strings attached. So not, and if you're not going to give it to them, just yeah. don't give it to them. Like it's just either that's the way. That's my feelings on it. Um, well, the current really situation is they're giving them the money because they didn't allow them to work, right? You could have gone to work. You could have chosen not to work. Um, you know, I'm I had a a dispute uh, with my uh, my company, uh, the owner of my company, uh, over the past few days. Right, we disagreed uh, on the way forward. I voiced my disagreement and was put in my place. Right, like, my company, we do it this way. I'm like, all right, I think it's a bad idea. You know, I, I'll be honest. Some of what he said, like, yeah. that might be illegal. I'm so I'm, I'm having some moral constraints with that, like whether or not. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, you know, yeah. and I go like, is, is this worth 
getting fired for? Like, you know, is, is this the, is this the hill to die on as far as employment is concerned? Right now, I've justified it to myself by saying, no, no, it's not. Cause it's, you know, it's honestly, it's dealing with like deadbeat customers that don't pay. So like, I'm not going to lose, I'm not going to lose my job for a bad customer, a good customer, maybe, uh, but a bad customer, uh, no, not so much, right. I'll do what the owner wants. Um, but yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't have power over me. Right. Which is why we had a discussion about it. And, you know, I was convinced to do it his way, right but on. I could, but I could not work. Right. I could be like, no, you know, you, you may be the owner, but I'm going home. Which is your right and his right to stop paying you. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. You, you called, you used the, the phrase uh, wage slavery. I, I always found that amusing. Actually, it's kind of disrespectful of real slaves around the world who had no choice about it. And to say wage slavery, um, you know, is uh, sort of redefining what slavery is. Slavery is, I always thought was being uh, chained to the plow so that you had to work for somebody at no wage and you had no choice about your life it was uh, you were a slave but now to say oh I have to work for that wage sorry you don't have to work for that there's thousands of choices out there you can do you can do no work you can work for some other people um, and it always bothered me that people feel that they have a right to a job uh, because they're a U.S. citizen, and therefore they have a right to the job, and that if the employer should choose to hire an immigrant um, who would work a lot harder and a lot longer a lot for less for less money, uh, then they somehow feel that they have a right to that job no matter what, and that's not their right. It's the employer's right to decide what to do with his own money. Yeah, I generally agree with you on wage slave. It's a term that gets thrown out uh, by the left. By the yeah. uh, anarcho-communists, the anarcho-socialists. Uh, another term that comes out of that camp is oppressed by nature, right? I am forced to work; otherwise, I starve, right? <laughs> if not, if not by an employer, then by nature herself, uh, because if I don't go out and hunt and forage uh, for food, I die. So I am compelled by starvation and hunger. Uh, to do things that I would ordinarily not choose to do. Mm. And workers may feel the same way, right? I got, I've got to eat. I've got bills to pay. I've got all of this. I am compelled by the capitalist system that requires me to obtain these things like housing and shelter and whatever, uh, to go work for somebody and labor for them. Uh, even though, no, I, 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 I don't want to do that. I'd rather, you know, uh, well, I, I would point them in the direction of uh, the non-capitalist system and say, well, it's the same there. You know, you still have to do something or else you die. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, in fact, there was a lot more involuntary death in the Soviet Union and communist uh, China and uh, all the socialist systems of the world, uh, national socialism, all of them. I think um, I think it, they would say it's okay because there was some authoritarian figure that was uh, making it um, okay to die for not working. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There, there's there's people that 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 place weird um, conditions on that. Sort yeah, of conditions thing. on on uh, just uh, on the on the authority figures. 
So. So if the authority figure says you don't have to work and you can just die, then it's a noble death. Is that what you're saying? Something like that, or that it's just that it's just okay, that it's, it's acceptable. But it's, but it's, it's not, not acceptable, acceptable to, to be, in be in a situation where, where it's your own choice, own choice. Uh, <laughs> and, and <laughs> to, to to die or not. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's your choice to die, then absolutely, yeah. I'm, you know, the libertarian position on suicide should be pretty clear. The right to life is, you know, the right to death is inherent in the right to life. You get to choose. No one else should be able to choose for you, right? But you can choose. Well, I, it sounds to me like they're trying to imagine a, a world of uh, of plenty. I think that uh, Noam Chomsky has somehow devised a, a technological world of complete and absolute plenty. Oh, Mark Karl Marx had that vision of the world of complete plenty, where post scarcity. Yeah, that afterwards, uh, after the the communist system was thorough and com- thorough and complete. Uh, there would be an abundance. You'd be able to choose whatever you wanted to do, even if you didn't want to do anything throughout the day. You could, you could uh, farm in the morning and, and read a book in the afternoon, and it it didn't matter because from each according to ability to each according to need, people would be constantly driven to just satisfy other people. Yeah, I suppose they've always dreamed of this sort of nirvana, utopia that uh, that would give that you never even had to want. It just would appear as um, the food on your table as you chose, as you wished it. It's sort of the uh, genie in the bottle type of, of, of thinking. The world is just a matter of just wishing it to happen. And I have to say that probably uh, the Western world feeds that notion with Santa Claus uh, images too. Uh, the, the, the blessings at Christmas time just come magically out of the sky from the North Pole that he's been working at all year long to provide for us. Well, and so kids get that uh, pretty much throughout. I've, I've got two, two points to follow that with. Number one, a question, um, and it's a loaded question. Can technology get us there? Uh, and number two, you said that the Western world uh, feeds into that notion um, what about, uh, you know, the, the Gandhi quote, uh, be the change you wish to see in the world, right? If you, if you wish to see those things occur in reality, do you not then have to start in your own personal life to start working towards it? And is that not what they're doing? I, I think it's possible for uh, self, uh, like uh, artificial intelligence farms that, that completely operate uh, autonomously that provide food at a very low cost. Um, I don't. I don't care if it ever gets free, as as long as the the price keeps going down. And so I I do think that the capitalist system will bring about um, maybe not a utopia because that's kind of foolish to hope for, uh, but a, a a better scenario year after year than the, than the one we're in. Notice the recent case with oil. They've gotten free. What a nightmare that was. Less than free. They were paying people to take it off. It went yeah. negative. Now, one would think that would be the the greatest blessing that everybody could have wished for. My gosh, this stuff that we used to fight wars for, that we used to uh, do everything possible to get more barrels of oil because the price was up to over $100 a barrel. Now we get them for free, and this is a complaint. You know, the, the, the it's, it's the taking American oil jobs is what it's Trump, doing. 
Trump runs around the world telling Soviet Union uh, to Russia, stop producing oil. They go to Saudi Arabia, stop producing oil. They go to Mexico, stop producing oil. We're going to do whatever we can to, to close the spigots and raise the price up again. Yeah, I think it's an election year, and as oil industry advocates are are uh, pushing for it, but my gosh, it should be considered the, uh, the greatest of blessings. It reminds me of Friedrich Bastiat's uh, um, uh, the um, candle makers petition uh, with how the candle makers and coke makers had to get rid of that free light and heat from the sun because it was ruining the opportunities for for jobs uh, in the candle makers and coke makers yes well we're doing the same thing here i mean that <laughs> people are uh, the politicians i don't think the general public is bothered by it at all this uh, great yeah. abundance of oil they should and be cheering it i on. was I was worried about food production, and this should help with that because the farmers use a lot of oil products on their farm, and uh, you know to drive the machinery. So, uh, hopefully, we won't have a situation where the government is paying farms to plow their their crops under again. I know it's <laughs> happening somewhat already uh, because. Um, some stores are putting limits on how much they buy. I don't know if it's because of uh, yeah. demand is going down temporarily. I've, I've seen I've seen articles of milk being thrown out and potatoes being disposed of because there's mm -hmm. they, there's an over overabundance of supply and no buyers at the moment. Ah, but that isn't exactly the case. All right, straighten me out, Ken. They, well, no, they always say it's a glut, an oversupply when they don't allow the price to go down. I mean, the consumers would love it if the price of eggs and everything would go down to, oh, uh, free eggs, great. Don't throw them away, give them to us. But no, they have um, agricultural mechanisms. The government has all these, these uh, rules built in place to prevent prices from going down. So they call it a surplus when the price won't go below that level. Okay, so I hear that, I understand that. Uh, the counter argument that I've heard to that then is, well, you can't let it go down to zero, Ken, uh, because then the next growing season, the farmers will choose to not grow uh, because they get no, pro no, no profit for their labors. They can grow something else. It's exactly. more profitable. Yeah. Until, there, until there's an oversupply of that, right? And it always drives back down to zero, potentially. Well, that's what your futures market is all about. The people who take those risks aren't necessarily the farmers. The farmers can uh, sell their crops uh, in the futures market. So then speculators who are speculating on the, the future price of products and so on will take the risk from them. But if the farmer wants to take the risk himself uh, and invest in the egg production or the milk production or the corn production and take the risk themselves, um, then that's their risk. But very often they decide not to, have, uh, to take on that risk if they want to make sure they get a certain, at least a certain price and they sell the, the futures contracts to somebody else who's a risk taker. That's by the speculator world. And of course the government has tried to take over the speculator world with, with government uh, Department of Agricultural programs so that the farmer doesn't have to sell that risk to somebody. Yeah. Um, in, uh, in Wisconsin, they actually had a, a pretty good victory for some of the cattle farmers in which uh, previously they were only allowed to sell to 
certain distributors and stuff like that. And and now recently they changed the law so where the, the, the cattle farmers are able to sell products directly to the customers. And that way they can make a better uh, product and uh, and they, they cut out the middlemen and so they're able to keep producing uh, you know high quality meat. Isn't it because of that futures market, Ken, that uh, oil did go negative? That's fantastic. Low prices are good. That's what production and Im improvements and everything are, are fantastic. Yeah. Actually, I think the best way to, uh, uh, to get the U.S. out of the Middle East and all of its wars, I mean, if, if the United States got out of the Middle East and all of its wars, then the oil companies getting oil in the Middle East would have to also add into the cost of oil all the protection insurance costs that it take that the U.S. military subsidizes with taxpayers' money. So, yeah, that would bring up the price of oil from the Middle East, but it would make it much more feasible than in safe places like in Canada or, or North Sea or even alternative sources of energy would be more feasible if we weren't so heavily subsidizing uh, the price of cheap oil from the Middle East. It's cheap only because the oil companies don't pay the full protection and insurance costs. Don't we want that as consumers, though? We want we want it to be cheap, so because it's if, not really if, cheap because we're still paying for the protection. So okay. exactly, the, yeah, the but yeah, people cost, don't see that. Yeah, the cost is hidden. Okay, uh, one more loaded question, and then we'll we'll end with this. Uh, to, to mainly you can, but feel free to jump in, MC. Um, how is it that the the state has been able to hornswoggle the public? specifically with the price of oil, uh, whereas people know that lower prices are better for them at the pump, but it's un-American now to have low oil prices because it hurts American businesses. How does, how does the politician convince the American people that paying higher prices for American oil is better? <laughs> that has amazed me that, well, all of the Trump supporters used to be sort of in the free market camp, sort of intending more towards the free market camp, but they've accepted, because it's Trump, they've accepted some completely anti-free market uh, economic policy. Because he's they've, the capitalist god, is what he is. Yeah, but look at the contradiction. The massive tariffs for the last several years, the massive in, uh, interventions on, on immigration, the massive increases in overall taxation because they've increased government spending even though they lower the tax rate they yeah. then they for the taxes greater he's doing this to save us money a few years from now and trump obviously knows the market better than the market does well obviously <laughs> see that's the god of government that uh the worshipers have have always fallen down to to uh embrace and and kiss their their ring because they they, they're believers in a, they're true believers in a, a ruler. They generally don't, I mean, even people who have professed free market sentiments, you know, the Republican Party uh, and people, but they've totally thrown that out of the window uh, in, in, in embracing uh, Trump. Of course, the Democrats didn't ever, but they've switched on some policies. It was used to be the Democrats that were always uh, the protectionists and uh, looking for trade barriers. And now they're, they're giving a, a pro-free trade argument against Trump just because it's against Trump. <laughs> Cult of personality, man. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts? 
Ken? Sounds good. It's a wrap. All right. That's a wrap then. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, uh, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash the anarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Well, Rich, it's always a nice, uh, nice challenging exercise.